At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. The legend of Cropsey has been told around many campfires in the New England area as a warning tale for misbehaving children and inspired a number of slasher movies. This is based on a true crime. Welcome everyone to episode three of Based on a True Crime. My name is Chelsea and I love true crime. And my name is David and I love horror movies. So we're, oh my gosh, sorry, that's our cat sneezing. Bless you, Lydia. We're excited to get back to your regularly scheduled um, podcasts this week after our mini-sode last week, but we hope you all enjoyed uh, hearing a little bit more about our favorite movies. So before we get started on this week's case, I want to uh, take a minute to give a shout out to at Rebellion Beauty Co. on Instagram. They were able to name this crime based on um, a picture that we posted of Andre Rand. They sell awesome true crime themed beauty supplies on Etsy. So be sure to check them out and also follow us on Instagram at based on a true crime. And we'll have more shout out challenges to come probably every week you know we'll post a little teaser image and if you can guess what we'll be talking about we will give you a shout out this week the crime and movie pairing is a bit atypical rather than doing a movie directly based on a crime both the crime and the movie are um, sort of influenced by the same urban legend that being the legend of cropsy Cropsy vows revenge on the camp, and after disappearing for several weeks, he returns and begins picking off campers one by one, leaving ominous messages such as burning the word Cropsy onto one of his victims. Eventually, the authorities catch up with Cropsy, but despite shooting him multiple times, the body is never found, and campers continue to hear strange voices from the woods at the edge of camp. The movie we'll be discussing today, Madman, is based on this legend. And for movie buffs out there wondering why we aren't doing The Burning instead, considering that the main character is literally named Cropsy and is set on fire by a group of campers before beginning his murderous spree, it's because I really did not like that movie for reasons that we might get into a little later when we get into our discussion of Madman. We'll see. Children with intellectual disabilities. He either had an axe 
axe or a hook, and would steal children from the neighborhood and drag them to the tunnels under the abandoned Seaview Hospital, a huge complex of buildings which once served as a tuberculosis sanatorium. Similar to the lessons imposed by this legend at camp, parents would warn their children about the dangers of Cropsey as a way of keeping them out of trouble. Be home before nightfall or Cropsey will get you. Go to bed or Cropsey will get you. However, in the 1970s, the legend of Cropsey seemingly came to life when children began disappearing off the streets. Only one body, that of 12-year-old Jennifer Schweiger, was found. Andre Rand was born Frank Rashan in Manhattan on March 11, 1944, and grew up in Ithaca, New York. When he was 14, his father passed away, and during his childhood, his mother spent some time at Pilgrim State Hospital, a state-run psychiatric facility. According to his sister, while their mother had some emotional problems, she was never abusive to her children, and there is no significant childhood trauma which may link to his future crimes. By 1968, Rand left his position at Willowbrook. He took a number of odd jobs around Staten Island, including running his own sign painting business, and stayed in rooming houses, shelters, and makeshift campsites on the Willowbrook grounds. He was described by those who encountered him during this time as friendly, articulate, and well-read. This would become an important point later during his trials, when Rand would try to pass himself off as a drooling indigent. After leaving prison, he legally changed his name to Andre Rand. He was arrested three more times over the next decade for minor offenses such as burglary, but more disturbing was his propensity to be linked with the disappearances of young girls in Staten Island. In 1979, he was accused of raping both a young woman and a 15-year-old girl, but neither of them pressed charges. In 1981, he offered a 9-year-old girl a lollipop and tried to lure her into his Volkswagen. When she refused, Rand followed her home and searched for her while she hid under a rug. No charges were filed in this case either. She 
made it to the store and purchased the soap. She never made it back home. Rand's aunt lived in the same building as Holly, and he was visiting her that day. Witnesses claim to see Rand's green Volkswagen circling the area of the store, and some claim to see Holly in the car. Rand himself admitted to seeing Holly that day and playing hide-and-go-seek with her. He also said he gave her money to buy soap because she was dirty. Authorities did question Rand and search his vehicle shortly after her disappearance, but found no evidence. One month after Holly disappeared, her mother, Holly Cedarholm, received a phone call from a man calling himself Sal. He claimed that he was holding Holly captive and demanded that Cedarholm meet him and perform sex acts on film in exchange for Holly's return. Cedarholm went to meet Sal at Penn Station with detectives, of course, but Sal never showed up. Holly Cedarholm would later identify Sal's voice to be that of Andre Rand. On August 14, 1983, just 12 days after Rand was released from jail, 11-year-old Ty Heese Jackson disappeared from the Mariner's Harbor Motel on Forest Avenue in Staten Island. At around 1.30 p.m. while her mother was sleeping, another motel resident sent Ty Heese out to purchase chicken wings from the Crown Supermarket. She never returned. When her mother woke up at 4.30 p.m. and discovered her daughter had been missing for three hours, she immediately called the police. Her brother said he last saw her talking to a man who matched Rand's description, and her mother also saw a man resembling Rand loitering in the motel parking lot. Rand had a campsite at the Baron Hirsch Cemetery, less than half a mile from the Mariner's Harbor Motel. Finally, on July 9, 1987, 12-year-old Jennifer Schweiger disappeared from her home at Westerly. It was a hot afternoon, and Jennifer was restless at home. Her mother sent her outside for a walk, under the assumption that, as always, Jennifer would stay within the three-block radius that she was allowed to wander unsupervised because she was well-known to all of the neighbors. When she disappeared that afternoon, her case garnered much more attention than the other children, possibly because Jennifer had Down syndrome, adding to her vulnerability. Thus began the largest search in Staten Island history, with thousands of volunteers combing the land, and particularly the Greenbelt, a stretch of woods in the middle of Staten Island where Willowbrook is located. Despite the hospital having been shut down, searchers found many camps of former Willowbrook patients and other transients with no place to go now that the hospital was gone. The trial took place in October of 1988. The jury could not reach a verdict on the murder charge, but did convict Rand of first-degree kidnapping. 
he was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. He would have been eligible for parole on July 30th, 2012. However, in 2002, prosecutors began pretrial hearings for a new charge against Rand, the kidnapping of Holly Ann Hughes more than 20 years earlier. Staten Island District Attorney William Murphy said of the new charges, quote, there has always been a nagging thought about the other allegations about him and the other missing children. I thought it was important enough to take a deeper look at these cases and do another prosecution. In addition to the witnesses who saw Rand's car at the scene, the trial will also feature testimony from officers and inmates who encountered Rand at the Auburn Correctional Facility and heard him saying things like, kids entice me, asking whether he could get a pornographic book with pictures of children, and the money quote of, you know me and Ted Bundy are alike in many ways. We both use Volkswagens. Bundy's thing was women. My thing is kids. In October of 2004, Rand was convicted of the kidnapping of Holly Ann Hughes. He was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison to be served consecutively with his previous sentence. He will now become eligible for parole in 2037 when he is 93 years old. At his sentencing, Andre Rand launched into a rambling half-hour monologue during which he denied guilt, professed his love for older and lonely women, and invited the female jurors to correspond with him. In 2011, Rand sent a letter to the Staten Island Advance in which he wished a happy Mother's Day to, quote, all the ladies on Staten Island who supported prosecutorial vindictiveness against an innocent person. The letter continued, quote, should I become a millionaire, it would be my true nature to grant all of you with each an envelope full of seeds to plant and cultivate a rose bush that produces roses every season as a token of my heartfelt forgiveness year after year, rather than a bouquet of rosebuds, which blossoms and shortly dies out. Ooh, kind of gives you the chills. <laughs> that is the, the story of Andre Rand. He is still in prison now, and he still maintains his innocence. So I guess in terms of just a quick discussion about this case, David, what do you think? Do you think it's possible that he's innocent? There's very little physical evidence. There's also, you know, he has a mental handicap, supposedly, which I think has maybe been demonstrated in some of his crazier quotes. So could he be a scapegoat? Or I know also they discussed in the 2009 documentary, could he have been working with other people? Maybe not cult of people worshiping Satan. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, could could he have not acted alone if he did it at all? What do you think? Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, you know, there are a few things that are known for a fact. One thing is that he lured a nine-year-old girl into his car and drove her somewhere and stripped her naked. So he's not a good dude. Um, You know, with a child target. (laughs) It's just, it's a lot of coincidence if he didn't do it. Oh, I think he's guilty. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think... You know, there's the question of guilt, right? And there's a, the question of, should he have been prosecuted? And I think, you know, I'm very glad I wasn't on that jury because I think that's a harder question than do I think he did it. I mean, witness testimony is is very shaky. There are a lot of cases of, you know, mistaken identity, but the witness who saw him taking Jennifer Schweiger into the woods he had this very distinct, a light green women's bicycle. And when they told that to the police, they knew immediately that it was Andre Rand because that was his bicycle. (laughs) The fact that this was not someone coming out later saying that's what they saw. I mean, this is what brought them to him. Her body was found at his campsite. So is it circumstantial evidence? Yes, but it's just a little suspicious, I guess. (laughs) Um, I mean... Yeah. You know, do I feel bad about a child sex predator being in jail? No, I'll never feel bad about that. Um, Do I think especially the charge about Holly Ann Hughes wasn't a little bit trumped up 20 years after the fact with these witnesses coming forward? They didn't want him out of jail. I mean, he's his reputation (laughs) precedes him. He is the Hannibal Lecter of Staten Island. Are you really going to parole him? (laughs) No. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah the hook hand is what really gives it away no he doesn't have a hook hand so i also think you know it would be remiss of us not to mention two other names that are often connected with andre rand one is the disappearance of ethel atwell and the other is the rape and murder of shin lee and these are connected with rand because they were both aides at willowbrook around the time that he was there so there's the question of could they be connected my personal opinion is no because i don't think that they kind of fit in with his target you know he seemed to have kind of a pretty narrow age range and he seemed to mostly target like little girls besides Hank, you know. And then I guess there was uh, one more potential victim that people talk about. So it's Audrey Lynn Narenberg, a girl. She's 18, but had the mental capacity of a 14 year old. And she lived in Brooklyn, but she was at Staten Island the day before she disappeared on July 5th, 1977. Um, This theater was the former Jerry Lewis Theater that was on Forest Avenue, not far from Rand's campsite. And she was last seen at her house in Brooklyn. She told her mother she was going out for a pack of cigarettes. So one thing that makes it kind of similar to the Andre Rand MO is that her family received a phone call from someone claiming to be the abductor and demanding a ransom, but she was never seen or heard from again. So that's kind of similar to what the phone call that Holly Cedarholm got. So. Yeah, but that only happened for, you know, one of them. 
So it only, yeah, it only happened for Holly Ann Hughes. I guess I think the other connecting thread would be that she did have some intellectual disabilities. So that would kind of be like a hankaforio. And there's also something that they kind of bring up in that 2009 documentary where they talk about, you know, maybe that was actually his target because, you know, Jennifer Schweiger had Down syndrome. But the other girls were just fine, healthy young girls. But I guess there was a thought that he was going after children that he thought were maybe unwanted. So with the the disabilities being what he thought would make them unwanted. And then also the idea of like these girls that are out alone, you know, really young. I personally just think these were crimes of opportunity. I don't think much thought went into it besides the fact that they were out alone. And yeah, I guess I'm I'm not sure whether the disappearance of Audrey is connected. He's real. Lore of the campfire, telling of his horror. Lost in the woods with the madman and the stars. Don't laugh at the tales. Heed if you call him the I love that. So cute. (laughs) Yeah. He's great. Uh, He's really good in a podcast that Philip Kiyoki did back in 2015. And we'll include a link to that podcast episode as well. The music, which you heard in our opening of this segment, was composed by Stephen Horlick. 
and the music was directed by Jerry Sales. Now, looking them up for their other credits, they don't really seem to have much else in their work history, so they seem to be a one-off, and it's a, a really great song. I love the theme. So, Word of Mouth gave Madman a cult following, and it was a sleeper hit in drive-ins throughout the U.S. at the time. It ended up being considered a success, but sadly, it was eventually buried under the glut of slasher films in the 80s and faded to obscurity until being re-released on DVD and later Blu-ray within the last 10 years. Madman was briefly in Variety's top 10 best-performing movies when it was released on January 1st, 1982 in New York, and it went on to rent well on home video. Producer Gary Sales has said on the Madman Facebook page that they are working on a remake, so there's fingers crossed that we might see Madman mm-hmm. pop up again. Uh, we call his name to the times out while we're camping. Oh. If you're looking to catch Madman, currently he's streaming on Shutter and also available to rent on Amazon and iTunes. I'm not sure what you guys can do right now for So, uh, let's talk about the movie. <laughs> You know, I think when you think of camp time slashers, I think the first one that comes to mind for everyone is Friday the 13th. (laughs) Being that I know very little to nothing about the production and timing of these movies, did that come out before Mad Men? Yeah, it came out right before it. Right before it. 1980. And when did The Burning come out? The Burning was 1980 as well. 1980 as well. All right. So is it... <laughs> yeah, so one one per year. So would you say that was kind of the beginning of this this genre? Did anything predate Friday the 13th? Yeah, the, at, by the early 80s, the slasher horror movies had kind of started to die out. There was just a glut of them after Halloween came out. It was one mm-hmm. after another after another. So, you know, from 78 on, they had a good couple year run. But by the early 80s, they were already starting to see their fatigue with audiences. So would you say Friday the Thirteenth was the first to the party? I mean, I know the the Burning and Madman were both kind of inspired by Cropsy, but do you think it's a coincidence that they came out right after Friday the Thirteenth, or do you think they saw Friday the Thirteenth and saw how wildly successful they were, and it's like Camp Time Slasher? Have you heard of Cropsy? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was a happy accident, and, you know, it's contested as to what the first slasher movies were. But, uh, yeah, definitely, Madman is one of those that I think a lot of people prefer the burning. The burning, it just... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, a lot of people are not me. Yeah. Eh. We saw a, um, a really good screen of the burning. Right? Yeah. Yep, garden chairs. And that was my big issue, which I feel like you watch a lot of these horror movies, something like Halloween. I think that that fits a lot of those tropes of the couple, the teenage couple has sex and they die. <laughs> um, if you're a girl and you give it up, you die. But, you know, it also has a really strong female heroine 
And I think that was missing from the burning. I think the movie kind of starts out where their Cropsey character is released from the hospital after sustaining these burns and being horribly disfigured. And like the first thing he does is goes and picks up a sex worker and murders her. And then I think one of the first characters to be killed in the movie is female camp counselor who um, refuses very, very aggressive advances from her boyfriend who wants to have sex. So she says no and she leaves and then she gets murdered. And it's just, you know, I kind of one thing that I liked about Madman is I mean, spoiler alert, we're not we're not respecting spoilers, but the main character, I forget her name, but it's the actress from um, Dawn of the Dead. So she actually has sex with her boyfriend in the movie and goes on to, you know, while she does die, she's also the one that kind of defeats the madman at the end by setting his farmhouse on fire. I think that that treatment was better. I did call the final girl from the very first scene, which is actually a boy (laughs) Um, who ends up surviving. So he's the voice you hear in the beginning of the song that says, he's real. And that's kind of how the movie ends. He's the one that calls out Madman Mars in the beginning. Uh, so he's he's the dick that gets everyone killed. I found the movie much more enjoyable. Yeah, it's really fun. And the campfire tale part of it, I think, is what really gives it some charm. John Carpenter's The Bog starts out in a similar way, and it makes it feel a little more like a, a fairy tale, even though you know, it's a slasher film. To me, I, I think the reason The Burning gets more love is because it has larger names attached. I think people think effects and also you know it's kind of novel for being jason alexander's first movie <laughs> Hunter's in it, fisher stevens is in it oh it's also like the first miramax film so wow. yeah just it just has that i guess that uh kind of pedigree is not the right word yeah <laughs> but um i love madman i think he's like this nice not nice he's he's a, a well-designed homebrew creature they did a good job with like the slow reveal where you see like a little more of him every time. And it's funny, um, you read that interview with the importance of like how Madman Mars moves. And I remember that really like standing out to me when I was watching it, like the way he kind of leaves the house and runs into the woods. He almost looks, you know, more like an animal than a person. He's a really good monster person. <laughs> monster human part monster, part human. Monster human. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, definitely check out Madman if you want to check out Burning, right? Um, if you want to know more about the crime, definitely check out the 2009 Cropsey documentary. They don't do a super great job tying it in with a legend, but I don't think we did either. <laughs> it's just an interesting story and some good movies, also some not good movies. <laughs> I did not. I was a brownie for a couple of years while my mom was a troop leader, but did not stay in long enough to do 
the, the camping part. But I did actually. So my dad grew up in um, New York State and I asked him if he had heard of the Cropsey. So he had heard a permutation of the Cropsey. I guess his Cropsey story was a little more what you'd think of as the Hookman, or at least what I think of as the Hookman legends. A guy with a hook that attacks couples on Lover's Lane. So, you know, it was kind of cool being able to ask my dad about that and have him know what I'm talking about. I guess growing up in that area, you get a Cropsey. Supposedly a class five tornado, it wiped out my mother's hometown. Almost everyone in the town died. But as it swept through southern Illinois, it went near the nearby Boy Scout camp. And where her parents were also working there when she was a child. And it swept them up into the storm. And they were both pummeled by trees and impaled by broken tree stumps. And so she blamed them being at camp for her parents' death and she ran into the woods where she wasn't seen for years and years and years until camp started up on those grounds again. And uh, at nighttime, people would hear some rustling in the woods and they would often claim to have seen this tired woman, eyes wide and possibly carrying a blade of some sort. Or, you know, they would say she would like pilfer the, all of the different storage facilities on camp and that you'd see her at night Oh my goodness. All right. Now that we're wrapping up, shall we do our now playing and coming soon? Yep. All right. Um, so what is your now playing? Which one? <laughs> no, no, it's now playing as what we have recently watched. <laughs> Alien Covenant? Well, yeah, we did watch Alien Covenant, but this isn't a uh, horror movie, but we just watched The Dark Star, which oh, is yeah. director John Carpenter's feature film debut. It also is noteworthy for his partnership with Daniel Bannon, who created Alien and the concepts therein, as well as the writer and director of Return of the Living. I love I love that movie. So good. Well, my pick for now playing is Wonder Woman, of course. Um, so we didn't get a chance to watch it opening weekend because we were out of town for the big wedding. Um, but we watched it the day after we came back, and it's amazing it's everything that i hoped it would be i left the theater feeling like i could kick a hundred thousand butts super empowering amazing acting it was so good i'm almost excited for justice league almost <laughs> so what about your coming soon yeah Oh, yeah, we watched Get Out and we watched I'm Not a Serial Killer. So we we fulfilled both of them, yeah. Yeah, Get Out was 
Yeah, I'm Not a Serial Killer was great too. It was not what I was expecting in the best way. It just, it took uh, quite the turn. And I actually, I know that we're uh, a podcast that doesn't do the spoiler thing where everything's a spoiler, but I'm not going to spoil it. Go watch I Am Not a Serial Killer. It's streaming on Netflix. Yeah, check them all out. Do nothing but watch movies forever. (laughs) So, yes, definitely catch it in theaters because I feel like those kinds of superhero movies just need to be seen on the big screen. So what about your coming soon? Yeah, I didn't prepare one either. (laughs) Off the top of your head. Off the top of my head. Well, okay, so in terms of coming soon for the thing I'd like to watch soon would be uh, The Video Dead, which is an 80s zombie movie that's on a double feature Blu-ray from Screen Factory with Terravision, which we watched Terravision a couple weeks ago. So I'm it's hilarious. Yeah. Terravision's great, but I'm looking forward to uh, Video Dead. And not a horror movie, but we were looking ahead at upcoming releases. And, you know, I don't know, Spider-Man. Yeah. All right. So for my coming soon, I guess I have two. The Keepers, which we still haven't gotten a chance to watch yet, but I keep hearing how amazing it is. So I definitely want to... Um, binge that real soon and then the other one is uh, it comes at night which my parents just saw and highly recommended to us they said it's right up our alley so hopefully we'll catch that one in theaters and we can let you guys know if it was any good on our next podcast (laughs) all right so thus ends uh, episode three follow us on our social media at based on a true crime on instagram based on a true crime podcast on facebook and at true crime based on twitter we're starting to get some feedback from listeners which we absolutely love we have a hundred followers on instagram which is just crazy we have almost a hundred followers on facebook which we're just we're thrilled about so thank you guys so much Yeah, and keep an eye out. So as I said, we're going to be posting some teaser images for our next episode so you can get a shout out if you name the crime. And um, we're also going to have a giveaway soon. So follow us and keep your eyes peeled. And um, thank you so much. <laughs> bye bye Yeah, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. He's real.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.